I want to have you turn with me to Numbers chapter 27. Numbers chapter 27. And while you're turning there, the iconic football coach, Vince Lombardi, in fact, the NFL's trophy every year when you win the Super Bowl, you win the Lombardi trophy. And so he, his, this coach said this. He said, leaders are made, they are not born. Leaders are made, they are not born. So I want you to think about that. And along those lines, leaders need to learn. Leaders, leaders need to learn. So gentlemen, how many of you have ever had this situation happen to you? You're... Wife leans over to you and says, if I were to die, would you get remarried? There's not a man in this room that knows you can't answer that question. If you answer, no, I will not get married again, then she will assume that you are saying that this current marriage that you're in is horrible. And you don't ever want to do this again. That's what she's going to assume. And if you say yes, and if you say it with vigor, she's going to assume that you've already got somebody lined up. There is no possible way. So, again, you are not born with the ability to answer that question. Leaders are made. I hope your father before you taught you what to say in this situation. I saw a commercial one time that taught me what to say in this situation. <laughs> it's kind of like getting your information from Wikipedia. <laughs> my thought is, if I, my wife has asked me this question, I'm going to just put a Snickers bar in my mouth and just start chewing. <laughs> and just do this. Maybe it'll go away. <laughs> Leaders are made and not born. For whatever reason, I don't know why, we like to think about what will happen if we have to leave this world early. Uh, we uh, got a will kit and we're going to start writing our own will. And I'm like, we're 30 years old. Why in the world do we have to think about this? But at the same time, that's wise. That's a good thing to do. Get, get your ducks in order. Make sure everything's taken care of. But we do genuinely, some, for some reason, like to think, what would it be like if I wasn't here? What would it be like if, you know, I, you know, I got in a car accident today and, you know, my family had to go on without me? What would it be like? Would my wife get remarried? I've never asked my wife that question in the entrapment way that she asked me the question. I'm just genuinely curious. We like to think about those things. Numbers chapter 27, I want to read to you in verse 12. Numbers chapter 27, look at verse 12 with me. In fact, last week we looked at the, son, the daughters of Zelophiah. We're going to continue uh, just beyond this. Numbers 27, look at verse 12. The Bible says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Get thee up into the Mount Abiram, and see the land which I have given unto the children of Israel. And when thou hast seen it, thou also shalt be gathered unto thy people, as Aaron thy brother was gathered. For ye rebelled against my commandment in the desert of Zin, in the strife of the congregation, to sanctify me at the water before their eyes, that is the water of Meribah in Kadesh, in the wilderness of Zin. You see, Moses 
is going to die. Moses is planning now his death, and he has to go up into a mountain, look across the land, and say, man, that's nice. Wish I could go in, and he's going to die. I want to preach to you a message that I've entitled this morning, Replacing a Leader. Replacing a Leader. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for all you do for us. Thank you for allowing us to be here this morning. Father, thank you for all our fathers that have come and, Father, that uh, give and, and work hard every day and love their families. Father, I pray that you would continue to help them to be able to do that. Father, keep Satan far away from us. But today, help us to realize some things in our lives. Father, we love you so much. Thank you for dying on the cross for our sins. Thank you for being a loving father to us. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Moses, again, is going to die, and he has the unique opportunity of knowing when he is going to die. Now, if you, if you were like him, what would you do? Would you, you know, maybe delay yourself a little bit because you know you have to go up into the mountain and you have to see the land before you're going to die? Would you, you know, take a few vacations before you did that? Or what would you do? That's something that I have often thought of, and, and it's an interesting question, but he has this wonderful opportunity. But the question is this, why is he going to die? Well, if you look there again in verse 14, it says, For ye rebelled against my commandment in the desert of Zin and the strife of the congregation to sanctify me, uh, at the waters, uh, me at the water before their eyes, that is the water of Meribah in Kadesh in the wilderness of Zin. Again, the children of Israel are getting ready to conquer the promised land, and Moses is not able to go in because he did not sanctify himself or sanctify God in the eyes of the people with the water. Remember, he was supposed to speak to the rock. And instead of speaking to the rock, he smote the rock. And we talked a little bit about that, went through all of that, and he did not sanctify God in the eyes of the people. So he's going to die because of that. So Moses is literally preparing for his death. He's figuring things out. He's tying up loose ends. He's getting all of his bank accounts into one bank account. He's getting ready to give it all to his children. And all of these different things that we normally do, he's getting ready for. But what does Moses do above all else? And the Bible tells us exactly what he does. Numbers chapter 27, look at verse 15. The Bible says this, And Moses spake unto the Lord. So now there's a conversation going on. Let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, look what he says, set a man over the congregation, which may go out before them, which may go in before them, and which may lead them out, and which may bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord be not as sheep which have no shepherd. See, so Moses' greatest concern is that there's a leader to replace him, that there's somebody to come behind him, and he asks for literally, literally, literally asks for a replacement. God, give me a replacement. Moses gives the replacement four characteristics that I believe are important. He gives them four characteristics that I believe are incredibly important. Look at them again there in verse 17. He says, give the people a man which may go out before them. Go out before them. Now, you may not think that's anything spectacular, but that is really great leadership. Leadership is somebody that goes out before the people. He's the one who fights before the people fights. And he goes, he's the one that goes out and spies before the people go out. And if you can bring it into shepherding terms, 
The shepherd does not just kick all the sheep out and let them wander wherever they want. Shepherds will lead the sheep out of the fold and he will go out before them. The second thing is, look here again in verse 17, which may go out before them and which may go in before them. And so again, he's not coming back in until... The leader comes back in. The, the congregation is not going to come back in until the leader comes back in. And the leader's going to come back in when he sees that the congregation needs rest. When the congregation needs to come back. When the congregation needs to be victorious and celebrate that victory. That's when we come back, go before, or which may go in before them. The third one is, which may lead them out. This is much the same thing. But he's leading them out into what God wants them to do and which may bring them in. Listen, a good leader will constantly be going out and leading people out and then leading people back in. And the thing I love is that Joshua, which we'll see here in just a minute, Joshua is this type of person. Joshua, Moses asked God for a, repa a replacement. Basically, Moses wanted a leader that would lead the people as he had tried to lead, lead, lead the people. I'm sure that Moses wanted someone that would shepherd the people, to be there for them, to protect them, to mediate for them, to pick up where Moses left off. No doubt Moses at the end of his life is thinking back through some of the things that he did as a leader. He's probably thinking back through some of the things that he did and uh, maybe didn't do and maybe regrets doing. And he begins thinking through this process and, hey, this is what I did. I led the, I led the people out. I mediated for them. I, I brought them back in. And when God wanted to expel them, I brought them back in and said, God, no, I, we don't want to do that. Please, please blot my name out of the book. This was the type of leader that Moses was, and he's looking for that replacement. So Moses, I'm sure, is thinking about things he would like to do over again. Things he would do better, but realize this, it's too late for him now. There's not much he can do to change the type of leader he is or was, but someone else has to fill in the gap. Someone else has to step up. Someone else has to come in. So who does God recommend? Let's look at verse 18. God recommends, and the Lord said unto Moses, Take thee Joshua, the son of Nun, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay thine hand upon him, and set him before Eleazar the priest, and before all the congregation, and give him a charge in their sight. And thou shalt put some of thine honor upon him, that all the congregation of the children of Israel may be obedient, and he shall stand before Eleazar the priest, who shall ask counsel for him after the judgment of Urim before the Lord. At his word shall they go out, and at his word shall they come in, both he and all the children of Israel with him, even all the congregation. So God just granted Moses' request, someone that will go out and will come in before them. Joshua will do that in verse 22, and Moses did as the Lord commanded him. And he took Joshua and set him before Eleazar the priest and before all the congregation. And he laid his hands upon him and he gave him a charge as the Lord commanded by the hand of Moses. Joshua is chosen to become the next leader. 
Joshua is chosen to become the next leader. He's the one. He's the one that Moses lays his hands on. He's the one in whom the spirit of the Lord is. He's the one who has done so many good things. Joshua is chosen. He fills the requirements. What do we know about Joshua? How do we know he's the right choice? How do we know that God is doing the right thing here? I want to show you three things about Joshua. Three characteristics, three character traits about Joshua that I think every father in here should pay attention to. But not every father, every grandfather, every uncle, every brother, every mother, every grandmother, every person in this room should take something from this. Why was Joshua chosen? Well, number one, he was tenaciously godly. Tenaciously godly. I want to take you back to Exodus chapter 33. We're going to bounce around in our Bibles just a little bit this morning. Exodus chapter 33. Exodus 33. Look at verse 10. Exodus chapter 33 and verse 10. The Bible says this. And all the people saw the cloudy pillar stand at the tabernacle door. And all the people rose up and worshipped every man in his tent door. And the Lord spake unto Moses face to face. As a man speaketh unto his friend. Watch this. And he turned again into the camp. So he started to leave. But his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, departed not out of the tabernacle. You know, if, if I'm in this situation and I'm, I did this often, Pastor Stone, we'd go in somewhere and I would be standing there and watching him and talking to some other people. But when Pastor Stone left, I left. When he got up to leave, I got up to leave. I, when I was in training, that's what I did. And so all of those things, listen, but not in the tabernacle, not Joshua. Joshua was there listening to Moses and God and spending time with God himself. And Moses gets up to leave. But look at again, the Bible is very specific in this. But Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, departed not out of the tabernacle. He wanted God. He wanted to spend time with God. He wanted to know God. He wanted to be with God. He wanted to understand God. He wanted to be in the tabernacle. He wanted to learn. He wanted to worship. I believe from knowing and studying the life of Joshua that he was enamored with God. Just wanted to spend time with him. He even got to go up on the mount when Moses was talking with God and God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. He was there. He spent 40 days and 40 nights up there with Moses. He didn't care about being personally comfortable. He didn't care about having food or water. It didn't matter. He wanted God. He wanted to spend as much time with God as possible. He was tenaciously godly. Didn't matter. He was going to fight for it. Can I ask you this question? Can God find this characteristic in you? Can God find you to be tenaciously godly? Can you see, can he see your desire and your thirst for him 
Do you say like Psalm 42 and verse 1, as the heart panteth after the water brook, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. Verse 2 says, my soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? When can I go to him again? When can I spend time with him again? When can I get close to him? When can I see him? When can I understand him? When can I learn from him? When do I get to spend that time again with God? I believe this was the characteristic of Joshua. Tenaciously godly. You see, it's not a matter of if I get to spend time with God. It's a matter of when I get to spend time with God. You see, most of us have this idea of if. Well, if I get around to it, I'll, I'll spend some time with God. Or, you know, if, if work doesn't go too late or if I'm not too tired or all of these things. No, 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 no. Joshua said, when do I get to spend time with God? When do I get to see God? My soul thirsteth after God, after the living God. I want him. I want to spend time with him. When do I get to again? Oh, stinking work gets in the way. Don't take this the wrong way. Stinking family gets in the way. I, I want to spend time with God. I want to spend time with him. I want to be tenaciously godly. Some of you may say, well, I don't long for God, so there must be something wrong with me. How do I get that passion? How do I get that understanding? I, don't, I just don't have that. There must be something wrong with me. We need to learn to love God. Just like you learn to love your spouse. You don't immediately love them with all of your heart from the first day you met. You can say there was love at first sight, which is completely and entirely possible, but you don't love them with your entire heart all the way through the first day you meet. Even after you get married, you don't love them with all your heart. You don't. You know what happens? Love grows, and love grows I can honestly say this today. I love my wife more today than I did almost 10 years ago when we got married because my love has grown for her. You say, well, how do you do that? How, how, do you, how does your love grow? Starting to spend time with God on a daily basis is like being introduced. So if I said to you today, hey, I want you to spend time with God for five minutes a day. Just spend time with God for five minutes a day. That's basically like introducing you to a new girl or a new guy. Let me introduce you to them. And now after that, it's your job how much time you're going to spend with them. It's your job how much, how much effort you're going to put into that relationship. It's your job after that to learn to love that person. To learn them, to understand them, to grow closer to them. My wife and I used to do this thing when we first started dating. Tell me something I don't know. Tell me something I don't know. My, some of my things were I, I was born in Lapeer, Michigan at the Lapeer Regional Hospital. She didn't know that. And so we begin to learn each other, and then we begin to learn favorite colors and likes and dislikes and all of these different things, and we begin to learn each other. Listen, we're still learning each other. Love grows. Well, how am I supposed to get tenaciously godly? How am I supposed to want God like that? Begin by meeting him. 
Meet him on a daily basis. Spend time with him on a daily basis. Understand him. And then the more you learn of him, the more you will grow closer to him. And the more you will want him. And the more you will love him. And then you'll be asking before you know it, when can I spend more time with him? When can I spend more time? Joshua had learned how to love God. And guys, girls, and everybody here today, he was tenaciously godly. Number two, not only was he tenaciously godly, number two, he was a trustworthy servant. He was a trustworthy servant. Go back to Exodus chapter 24. Exodus 24. Look at verse 12, Exodus 24 and verse 12. The Bible says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Come up unto me into the mount and be there, and I will give thee tables of stone and a law and commandments which I have written that thou mayest teach them. Okay, so this is the mount in which he gets the tables of the Ten Commandments. Verse 13, And Moses rose up and his, what's this, minister Joshua. Moses went up into the mount of God. You see, that's exactly what Joshua was. He was Moses' minister. He was Moses' servant. He went where Moses went. He did what Moses did. He served Moses. He gave to Moses. We never see an instance where Joshua did what Joshua wanted to do. Not in the first parts of his life. Not before he took over. We don't see where he did what he wanted to do. He did what Moses did. He served. He was trustworthy. I'm sure he loved Moses. I'm sure he spent, he obviously spent time with Moses. I'm sure he would have died for Moses. And that's why Moses could trust him. Moses could trust Joshua almost implicitly. They were almost one in the same. Hey, where's Joshua? I don't know. Where's Moses? They'll be together. Hey, where's Moses? I don't know. Where's Joshua? They're probably together. Go find them and you'll find the other. They are inseparable. And this is why he could trust him. They probably spent time talking as they were walking up this mountain. He was a trustworthy servant. This is probably why God chose him. Because Joshua had proven himself and that he wasn't in it for himself. He was in it to serve. He was in it to give he wasn't in it for himself or to see what he could get out of it. Again, I asked this question, what kind of servant are you? Are you even a servant? Most people look out for themselves. A number one, I, I'm the best, you know, like, you better, you better take care of me. It's all about me. Most of us do that. Sometimes even if we have a wife and children, we do that. I want this and I want that and we look out for ourselves. You see, that shouldn't be us. That shouldn't be God's people. God is looking for men and women who will serve God and will serve others. Someone that he can trust. Someone that will do what God asks. Someone that will serve out of a heart of love. Number two, he was a trustworthy servant. Number three, he was a triumphant leader. He was a triumphant leader. Joshua was winning battles. He was doing something. 
He wasn't sitting on the couch every day waiting for Moses to call and do something for him. No, he was active. He was a triumphant leader. Let's go to Exodus chapter 17. Exodus chapter 17. Verse 8. Exodus chapter 17 and verse 8, the Bible says this, Then came Amalek and fought with Israel and Rephidim. And Moses said unto Joshua, Choose us out, men, and go out, fight with Amalek tomorrow, and I will stand on top of the hill with the rod of God in mine hand. So Joshua did as Moses said unto him. Again, there he is, obedient servant, and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill, and it came to pass when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed, but Moses' hands were heavy. And they took a stone and put under him, and he sat thereon, and Aaron and Hur stayed up his hands, the one on the one side and the other on the other side, and his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua discomfited Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. And the Lord said unto Moses, write this for a memorial in a book, and rehearse it in the ears of Joshua. Notice that. Write it down and tell Joshua, for I will utterly put out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. Listen, he was doing something. And Moses was to write this down and rehearse it to him and let him know that God was using him and God, he was being a triumphant leader so that when the time came, where he was to take over leadership for Moses, he was to replace Moses, he would have the confidence, he would have the leadership ability to move. Joshua was triumphant also. He was one of the 12 spies that went in, and he was only one of the two that said, listen, we can defeat the giants of Anak. We can defeat them. Let's go in and take it. And we see after he takes over that he leads the children of Israel into the promised land. And they begin conquering things left and right. In fact, the Bible says in the book of Joshua that you will never lose a battle. You will continue to fight and you will continue to win. He was a triumphant leader. Joshua just wasn't sitting idly by waiting for things to happen. God was doing something. And again, I challenge all of you here today, are you a triumphant leader? Are you seeing God work victoriously in your life? Are you seeing God do things? Are you watching him work? Are you, are you telling your children things about how God works? That is some of the most exciting times I have in my family is when I get to sit down and say, look what God did for us. Look what God did for us. God's doing things. God's not done doing things. And if you say, well, how come God's not doing things in my life? Can we go back to the first point? Are you tenaciously godly? Which I believe is followed by the second point, which makes us a trustworthy servant. If you're not either of those two things, don't expect to be a triumphant leader. As fathers today, we have a responsibility to be a good leader, a good leader that that works hard in all of these things. All three of these characteristics that you see before us are wonderful in a leader. They're wonderful for a leader to say, this is the type of man I want. And I think that there's something that we all should be striving for. 
But this being Father's Day, I want you to think of something with me as a father. Suppose you knew you were going to die. Suppose God says to you, go up into a mountain and you're going to look across and you're going to see the promised land and then you're going to die. Suppose that's within a week's time of today. Next Sunday, fathers, none of you will be here. Put yourself in this predicament. You're going to die. But God gives you the opportunity. Listen, God gives you the opportunity to hand pick the next father for your children. You know you're going to die, but you get to pick the next father. Hear me out. What character traits and qualifications would you put on him? Who would you choose? Would you make sure that this man was a godly man? Would you make sure that he led your children in the way he should go? Would you make sure that he talked of God often in the home? Would you make sure that he was spending time with God on a regular basis? Would you make sure that's the type of father he was? How about this? Would you make sure that he was a servant? Would you make sure that he served your children? Make sure that he served your wife? Would, he make sure, would you make sure that he was someone that would nurture them into the men and women that they need to be? Would you want to make sure that he was going to take time for them? Would you want to make sure that he wouldn't allow work to get in the way of family? Would you make sure that he wouldn't just go off doing the things that he wants to do and spend it, instead of spending that time with your family? Who would you choose? How about this? Would you make sure that he was a leader? That he led the home well? Would you want him to lead by example? Would you want him to provide for them, for your children, for your family, emotionally, physically, spiritually? Would you want him to have a, a track record of God working in his life? Who would you choose? What characteristics, what qualifications would you put on that? Boy, I'd put some major qualifications on it. I'd have them written down. I'd have them all capital letters in red ink and in bold, underlined. These are have-tos. And if not, I'm coming back from the dead to haunt this guy. You say, Pastor Jones, that's a, a silly illustration. That's silly. None of us have that opportunity. And you, I would say you're correct. But, you know, here's the good news. None of us know when we're going to die. I don't think any of us are going to die in the next week. Is possible. Please don't misunderstand me. God forbid that. None of us know that. And you know what? None of us are picking the next father for our children. But you know what we can do? I can change this one. I can change this one. You see, there are tons of qualifications that I would put on this new guy that I myself am not doing. You know what I have the opportunity to do? I have the opportunity today to make a decision to change and to be a tenaciously godly man 
and teach my children and lead them and nurture them in the way that they should go. And I have the opportunity to be a servant to them. Not get too busy with the things that I want to do. Even ministry. Good things. You see, I, I, I wouldn't want the new guy to come in and just all be about the church. Nothing about my kids and leave my family aside. I would never want that. So why is it okay for me to do that? It's not. There are things in my life that I want to change. And if I was to have a pick and a new father, I would make sure he changed them. But you know what the good news is? I can change today. It's literally changing your settings. Changing you. Flipping a switch. I am going today to be tenaciously godly because my children need a man who will be tenaciously godly. My wife needs a husband who's tenaciously godly. My children need someone that's trustworthy, a trustworthy servant. My children need that. My wife needs that. I want that for the next person, but I need that. I need to be that. And I just want to be a, a, a triumphant leader. Somebody that's doing something. Not sitting idly by. Not letting the world go to hell in a handbasket and I'm not doing anything about it. I want to see God do something in my life. So that I can teach my children. So that I can lead them. So that I can go out before them. And I can come in before them. And I can lead them out. And I can lead them in. Because you see, replacing a leader is not an easy task. But there's some things about this leader that need to be replaced. That need to be changed. Listen, fathers, we are leaders whether we like it or not. We, God has put us in that position Joshua was, I, there's nowhere in here that I see that Joshua said, hey, I'd like to be that leader. Nowhere in that. He was forced into it, so to speak. God chose him. God chose you for your son and your daughter. And God chose you for your family. Be the leader. Be the leader that you want them to have. Because if you're not, you're going to allow things to happen and you're going to look back on your life and you're going to have major regrets and you're going to hope that the person who marries your son or marries your daughter is going to pick up the slack where you left off. Folks, can I challenge you, all of you, to be the leader that God wants you to be. To be the husband, the wife, again, the grandmother, the grandfather that God wants you to be. Who would you choose? What characteristics would you choose for your replacement leader and start implementing those things into your life?